0: Hey everybody, this is Raimundo Gonzalez. And this is Jamani Rosario. Welcome to the Latinx Guard Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Remember, everything we say is just for fun. Nothing's meant to be taken too seriously. If you are going to be a hater, stay a hater. But either way, support. Welcome everybody to the Latinx Guard Podcast, episode six. Coño seis? Six. Oh, man. <laughs> six episodes, man. We are really grateful that we're able to make it this far. Just wait till we hit double digits. Episode 6 is one that's really near and dear to our hearts because we're going to talk about something that we both have so much experience with. Something that really made us commit to Jiu-Jitsu on a different level and that is competition. So the competition episode. We're going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk about just competition in general, the different rule sets, our uh, attitudes toward competition, our experiences towards competition. Then we're going to talk about competing for the first time. Yeah, Some advice that we have for people that are thinking about competing for the first time, our experiences competing for the first time, we're going to talk about competing as an athlete. Uh, so you've a couple of competitions in on you or in you already, and you're thinking about competing more, more prestigious tournaments. You know how does the training regimen look like going into those competitions? Right. And then the different styles of competitions, different rule sets, and then we're going to talk about, quite frankly, just that the different rule sets, what separates them, which one we think is the best one which ones we like competing under which ones we like watching which ones do we think other people would like watching more so lots of competition talk today let's get started so Bonnie, what was your first competition like
1: my first competition was the good fight which for those of you that don't know that was i guess one of the earliest sub only events um i ended up doing just the gi and i had a If I remember correctly, I had three fights. My first one, got through it. I I believe I finished that one in regulation. So for the white belts, I believe it was seven minutes regulation or six. And then it was overtime rules. So then we, I believe at the time, uh, we just started on each other's back. And then whoever got the finish faster, then you won. Um, my second match in this tournament, now, I've been training for six months, I have no experience in competition, and my second match was about 47, 49 minutes long. And I lost. And then two, three minutes later, they're calling me to fight for third place. I was so mad, I armbarred the guy. I ended up winning third place. It was great. And since then, I've been in love with competition. I also have three brothers, so naturally, I'm competitive. Um, But that was it. I mean, I think... I've always loved the part of Jiu-Jitsu where I get to test myself. So competition kind of gives me that um, outside of the training room.
0: How about you? What was uh, your first competition like? So my first competition was actually an in-house competition. Oh, so okay. So for those of you listening to and don't know what an in-house competition is, it would be the equivalent of like a Muay Thai smoker, right? Yeah. So not yeah, officially yeah. like sanctioned or um, organized by... A specific organization it's just the school who like puts up a flyer and says that they're having uh, quite frankly just an in-house tournament so only the students that train at the school are allowed to register and compete and typically these in-house tournaments are very unregulated right yeah or at least not I would say unregul- unregulated, but a little bit more or less organized yeah. than an actual tournament. So it, there wasn't even like real weight classes. It was like just <laughs> under 150, over 150. Yeah, I obviously went into the under 150 category, yeah. and I got smoked. <laughs> I got s- smoked. Like I lost in like 30 seconds to a clock choke. Yeah. To shout-outs to my boy Phil, right? Yeah. But, you know, a lot of shout times that would have a negative impact on people Like, oh no i had no business doing that but it only motivated me to get better yeah i think that's a big
1: reason to people do the in-house tournaments right is for people that want to i guess test the waters for competition but don't want to go register for something spend a lot of money if they aren't really sure um so that's really cool
0: yeah so my second competition which i guess had more of a profound effect on me Because, one, it was an actual organized competition. It was a grappling industries in New York City back when they were prevalent in New York City. Right. Um, I was a blue belt because—we'll talk about this later. I thought, like, I wasn't ready to compete until I was a blue belt. Right, right. Um, But when I was a blue belt, I decided to register for a grappling industries, which is a round-robin tournament. And I had four matches. I only won one of them, and I lost the other three. Okay. (laughs) Um, but this exposed me to so many different elements of jiu-jitsu, right? One, you obviously have the competition nerves, which I experienced fully for the first time. Yeah. Like, I'd, it didn't really hit me in the in-house tournament just because, you know, I was still surrounded by my friends. I was still in an environment that I, like, I trained in regularly. Right. But with the competition that was in another place, right, I didn't know where the heck this was, right? I'm pretty sure I got lost the first time. <laughs> um, I had to ask the security guard where the gym was because I was walking around for 30 minutes not knowing where it was. Yeah. And then... I was facing people that I'd never seen before. I never knew they even existed or did jiu before this. So it was a very different experience um, and one that I wouldn't trade because it just like it really got me into that competition environment and that mindset um, where you're competing against people you don't know. Uh, the nerves hit you very differently. And just like you said, it allowed me to test my skill and really see where I was at in comparison to other blue belts in the area. Um, I think that's a great transition to, okay, What what are some of the things that
1: happened during your first competition? So for me, I hadn't my competition experience in my life was very limited. I did very little wrestling in high school, so I was exposed to competition. But jujitsu was um, my first sport that I really committed to. So the nervous shits, that's 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 a that's a rough one. So for those of you that are thinking about competing, bring a lot of Gatorade. Hydration is very important. So um, that was something that I didn't do. I didn't know about like what to bring, you know, other than my training gear. Um, at the time where I was competing, my school was pretty small. So for those of you that don't know, you, in order for you to compete under IBJJF, you have to register your school. You have to now get a membership yourself. So I didn't have access to all that. My school was pretty small, so they couldn't afford that. So all I was doing was small tournaments such as uh, the good fight Nagas um which which they're still around so shout outs to them um but I didn't know that I should bring a second outfit in case the first one isn't legal right I didn't know that I should bring snacks because no no jitsu tournament that I've attended to ever runs on time, so expect to be there for a long period of time right i didn't I wasn't familiar with the weight classes or um the rule sets as much so basically what I'm trying to say is if you are looking to compete um you know it doesn't hurt to do a little bit of research right just to get more comfortable and I think that helps a lot with some of the anxiety I think a lot of the unknown for me um added to that because I didn't know what I was getting myself into not that I didn't want to do it but definitely as a always as an anxious person like not knowing what to expect definitely um drove me a little nuts. Um, and if you do get nervous shits like I do, again, bring that Pedialyte, Gatorade, power, whatever it is that you need to do, stay hydrated because you will be there for a long time. If you're, <laughs> if you've done this for a few times, you know, you know what's going on.
0: Yeah, I think you hit a lot of important points, especially for somebody—or advice for people who are competing for the first time. It's a lot of, like, these impractical things that people don't really tell you. Yeah. I think when people compete for the first time, they're always wondering, like, okay, what's my game plan going to be? Yeah. You know, like, what's my opponent going to do? Like, what are the skill level, like, that I should be ready for, that I should be gearing up towards? When some of the best advice that I've been—that I've received— uh, according to competition or re- revolving our competition is exactly like bring a second gi yeah bring toilet paper <laughs> make sure you have multiple bottles of water baby wipes they're they're lifesavers i'm M- telling you dude like <laughs> that stuff will throw you off your game so much more than somebody just playing like spider gone on you and you weren't ready like yeah. if the ref tells you like oh you need to change your gi and you don't have another gi now you're just screaming into the stands like who has a gi for me to borrow and Like, it's so disappointing. And this has happened to many people where they can't find a gi in time and they get disqualified. Um, So, not
1: to cut you off, but I was just in Atlanta for an IBJJF Open. I didn't compete, but I was there coaching a couple friends of mine. And I don't want to hate on the IBJJF too hard because I don't want them to ban me forever. Oh, we'll get there. Oh, but we're going to get there. At some point, y'all going to ban me, but... They did the most ridiculous shit. And, and I've had my own incidents. Like, I have a bunch of stories where fucking IBGF people were so unorganized and so inconsistent. But <clears throat> so a friend of mine's um, who was competing this weekend, he went through check-in. He had his first fight. He won his first fight. He's about to get his second match. And the head organizer comes to him and goes, you can't wear that rash guard. he's, huh? he's Exactly. So he asked him, like, we're all losing our shit. I'm probably the most calm and I have yeah. a DMX shirt on. So you can imagine how everybody else was everybody feeling. So when he asked what was the reasoning, the head organizer goes, we don't like the message. Mind you, the shirt has the name of the school, the school that is registered. So the uh, people that work behind the desk, the, the scorekeeper goes to the head organizer and goes, but that's the name of his school. And he's like, no, nah, we don't like the message or whatever it is. So they made him buy a rash guard in order for him to fight a second match. Now, this is all after you go through the check-in, you weigh in, you had your first fight. Like, imagine that. So it wasn't his first competition. It wasn't even the first time I've seen this happen. It wasn't the first rodeo for any of us um, or for most of us, right? But imagine if and that threw him off. He lost that second match, right? Like, I think, and I'm not saying that. I'm not taking anything away from his opponent, but that definitely fucks with your momentum. Like you pointed out, right? Like there's a lot of these small things that if you aren't prepared for, if you've never experienced it, then they definitely fuck up your mental game. Because the other things that they don't tell you, like it's easy when you enter competition, train hard. That's the first thing you hear. But there's a lot that goes into it. And it depends on how serious you want to take it, right? But, you know, you got to make sure you're lifting, I think. Right. Depending on your level, where you're at of your competition. But there's mental training for moments like this. Right. For moments where something may throw you off and it sucks. And there's a lot of things that are out of our control. But when you go to competition, it's also in it's um, up to you to stay focused. Right. And I think things like that happen and they really fuck you up.
0: Yeah, I think you brought up a lot of good points. Um, I don't want to get too far ahead as opposed to like exactly how we prepare for competition. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to stick to advice for first timers. And I think you made a lot of great points. Yeah. Especially when like this case that you talked about or this specific instance is probably something that you have to tell your students to prepare for even more so than like the techniques they want to do in the match. Yeah. Because I I definitely agree that that instance was complete and utter nonsense. That was right? ridiculous. Especially because, like, you're already hyped up. Maybe you're a little nervous. And then you're you're looking, you're scrambling for five minutes trying to buy a new rash guard, but you already spent, like, 400 bucks trying to, like, get here, like, yeah. through, like, transportation fees and the registration fees. Like, and now you got to buy a $70 rash guard. Like, and jiu-jitsu athletes are, like, scrapping for money as it is, you know? The facts. So now you, like... Maybe that was your dinner budget And now you gotta eat Fucking the 4 for 4 At Wendy's night tonight <laughs> When you wanted to go out With your friends you know Dead ass So like that's gonna throw you off Like your entire game So yeah. I can definitely see Like how uh, Your friend And you were upset In that moment yeah. That even happened to me In an IBJF event You yeah. know they might get Pendejo of the week Who knows they, I saved I think- one But now that you're Talking about it They might get it We might have to do co- Co-pendejos this week <laughs> so i had a very similar like not to piggyback off your story but very similar story where i i won my first match and then uh, one of the refs comes up to me and says my gi isn't legal even though i went through the check-in like uh, i did i did all the stuff and i just i just fought a match yeah and like no nobody complained and thankfully i had a second gi so it was no problem yeah right but if i didn't right then i would have to either buy a new gi which i don't think they were selling them at the venue at the time or i would just have to like hope that one of my teammates would allow me to wear a gi and then hope that that gi would pass inspection. Yeah. Right. Um, Let's go back and circle back into specific advice that we would give to new people. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting that the advice that we're giving is all very practical, but not really dealing with the actual like match. Right. Yeah. So we can all tell like, yeah, play your game, get ahead, stay on top. But it's really like this type of, I guess, um, Uh, Advice that we would give to people that doesn't have to do with the actual uh, uh, tournament or sorry, not tournament, but the actual um, performance aspect of it that I think really makes a difference, right? So two pieces of advice that I would give to anybody and I regularly give to my students before when they ask me, hey, Ray, I'm thinking about competing. What should I do? I say, first of all, read the rules of the specific tournament that you're doing. Very important. I think that's incredibly important because how many times have you heard like, Somebody competes and they go for a specific submission or position, and they just get disqualified. Yeah, right. And you just wasted money. Did we give the
1: pendejo uh, of the week to one to somebody who did that recently? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, So somebody at
0: BJ Stars. Yeah, yeah. Who, mind you, he is a pro black belt athlete. He is world champion. He know he should be familiar with the rules. Yeah, and even he got like uh, messed up by not reading the rules. Yeah, so. Even if you've competed in this like tournament before, rules change all the time, yeah. right? They're always like uh, revising certain rule sets and revisiting certain like submission techniques, right? So right. definitely reread the rules of the tournament that you're competing in. Even if they say that we follow this rule set or that we copy this rule set, yeah, sometimes they always have something unique. right. So really make sure that you have those rules for that specific tournament um at least you're very familiar with them yeah the second piece of advice that i always give to beginners again doesn't have to do anything with specific techniques it's just see where you fall in terms of the weight classes right right that's something that we haven't really talked about in this podcast yet it's like weight management and uh weight cutting weight gaining yeah. just uh maintaining weight right i'm pretty sure that will be a whole episode yeah i was just about to say like i think we need uh dedication for for that
1: because that is a that's a whole last topic
0: yeah. um Yeah, for sure. Um, So what I just tell people is that look at the weight classes, even more than rule sets, weight classes vary from organization to organization. Yeah, They might vary every 10 pounds, every 7 pounds, every 13 pounds, right? So it really, really varies between the organization. I think even the ADCC varies like almost every 22 pounds, right? Yeah,
1: because um, the weight classes go 66, 77, 88. Yeah, and that's in kilos. Yeah, so... Uh, my math isn't very good right now, but yeah. you, you can do the math.
0: So it, it it varies and fluctuates between every organization, right? And what I tell people is like, don't worry too much about your weight, right? right. See where you fall into. If the weight class is one forty to one fifty, yeah, and you're one fifty one, it's like maybe think about cutting a pound, yeah, right? That doesn't sound like too miserable, right? You just have to watch where you're eating that day. Maybe go for like a like a sweat beforehand. Um, if you're like one forty two. Um, then maybe don't cut. Maybe just concede that you're going to have to fight bigger people right. or around 150, maybe cutting down from 150. But that's the conversation that I tell people, right? Just know where you are in terms of your weight class. And if you're going, if you're going to cut, try to consult like a doctor. Maybe get a physical, right? Right. Like, see what percentage body fat you are. If you're already like really trim and you're like, I'm going to cut 10 pounds, like homie, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. nothing to cut there. <laughs> like you either have to bump up to the next weight class Yeah. or um just live with the fact that you're going to be fighting heavier people yeah um so those are the two pieces of advice that i would heavily recommend to anybody who is their first time competing um read the rule set of the competition you're doing and then be familiar with the weight classes and see where you are in uh reference to those weight classes how about you jobani
1: um i definitely agree with that 100 percent um Definitely, because I've been guilty of not following, not that I've gotten disqualified, but not being aware of the rules, so it kind of limits me to what I do, so I didn't want to get disqualified, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I should do this, so I didn't, right? Um. So that's really important, and um, what was the second point you made?
0: Uh, so just knowing the weight classes and see where you fall in with those weight classes yeah
1: so without getting too much into it um it happens all the time in professional sports um especially sports that require weight cutting a lot of people do it the wrong way they get sick we've there have been cases where people die of wrong weight cuts um and that's very unfortunate as somebody who's had like uh uh, learned the hard way that about cutting right and doing a lot of doing it bad and doing it well um, it's not always as easy and as straightforward as it looks Um, but I mean I can go all day about advice but I guess to add on to those two I guess um, the other two I would add is one know your goals right like if you're Mm -hmm. just looking to do this for fun, like you want to do a local competition, you know, like you, you have your nine to five job, like, and this isn't something that you want to do as a career, then, then things like weight cutting shouldn't like, you don't need to cut a lot of weight for that. Now, right. if, you, if you want to lose weight for your health and for your lifestyle, then that's cool. That's different. But I wouldn't like, that wouldn't be a requirement for, for, for someone who um is just doing this for, for fun. Right. Um, and that's where like, we'll, we'll get into in a little bit about competing as an athlete, And then, after you figure out your goals, right? That I think for me personally is make sure you have a routine. Right. And, and what I mean by that is like it's similar to your game plan. Right. Like once you get on the mats, you should have an idea of what you want to do. Same thing as soon as you get into the venue. Right. For me, I like to get in there, um, weigh in as soon as I can. I like to have my warm up routine. I like to have a, a play a playlist um, of a certain number of songs that just like get me in the mood. It's a mixture of, uh, you know, things that will elevate my heart rate to, to chill. So I think having um, a structure, not only a, a game plan, when you get on the mat but once you get to the venue because we spend a lot of time in the venue before we even get to fight our emotions are all over the place so it just goes back to like that mental training so um to piggyback off of your two the two um pieces of advice um i would definitely add to that is you know figure out your goals and what you want to get out of this competition if it's just for experience then like you know that you then you shouldn't have as much stress right shouldn't have either way but um and then make sure you have a routine, right? Like, make sure that you know what you want to do for your warm-up. I, I find that when we already have so much going on and then you kind of make it up on the fly, it just isn't as effective, right? So a lot of times, you're just bullshit. You won't even get a good warm-up. And, you know, when you go out there, it's a competition. It's a different scenario. Like, you're not there to be friends, right? So, um, yeah, those are the two pieces I would add.
0: Yeah, those are great pieces of advice. I think one thing that I really want to highlight, and I think it's just... um me reiterating something that I kind of already said is just all of these advice, all of this advice that we are giving our listeners or anybody thinking about competing for the first time really just has to do with making yourself more comfortable in the competition environment. Right. Um, I think I read in this book that I'm reading that fear feeds off of uncertainty. Yeah. Right. If you just don't know what's going on, if you don't know the rules, if you don't know Like the certain tips and tricks that we're telling you about, like get a second gi, like the refs are going to try to sabotage you (laughs) and stuff like that, then, you know, when it does hit you, you're going to panic, right? But if you're ready for it and you're like, oh, my coach Giovanni told me that this was going to happen. Good thing I brought a second gi. Or like, yeah, I'm using the bathroom a lot. Good thing I brought Pedialyte. Yeah. And if you're ready for it, then it's not going to hit you as hard. Right. Like, you can't really realistically be 100% ready for anything. Yeah. Like, I'm sure there are still things that hit you, like, um, unexpectedly in competition. All the time all the time and you can never really be ready for it. Yeah. Just like anything in life, like you can prepare as much as you want but uh, I think it's Murphy's Law which is like if something will go wrong, um, something it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Right, right. So that's just the attitude you got to have just be mentally prepared for this stuff. Um, let's oh, transition. Wait, before, wanna- before
1: we transition, okay. um, I guess one last thing is also like consult with people who have experience, right? Um, oh, that's great. You know, like it's it's hard to be, to point directions, right? Like I couldn't recommend somebody for everybody like right off the bat um but you know you you train in your in in whatever gym you train at and you know talk to your coach if he's competed talk to your training partners who have competed like just you know pick pick people's brains some people are going to tell you some good stuff and a lot of people going to tell you some bullshit a lot of people going to give you some bad advice that doesn't mean you should like shut them down it doesn't mean that we don't listen to them you take it cool look i'm a believer of trying things out and we're all different. So what I do is going to be different than what Ray does. And what Ray does is going to be different than what somebody else does, you know? So, but, so it's important to like have some awareness, you know, yeah. and figure that out.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great piece of advice. I'm sorry that like, uh, we almost skipped over that. No, no, no. Um, it
1: just came, came to my head last minute.
0: This is actually, I, I want to, uh, add to that other than just asking people what they think about competition, it, ask other people if they want to compete with you. Right. You know, right. I think for me, competing in a group and going as a team not even as a team but like as a group of friends and just Going to a venue and recognizing people there is just much more comforting, right? Absolutely. You have somebody to talk to in between your matches. Um, even more so, you have people there watching your back because sometimes you'll be in the bathroom and then like the ring coordinator is calling your name. It's time for your match, <laughs> right? And you don't know, and you get disqualified. Yeah. But there have been times where I'm in the bathroom and then one of my homies comes in and be like, "Yo, Ray, you got to fight," <laughs> and so I gotta, <laughs> I gotta hurry up and I gotta get off that seat, you know?
1: Um, I guess to kind of. St- transition us into uh the competing as an athlete so in one of the big competitions or not big competitions but one of the IBJF competitions I did I was running late um it was up at City College so this is back when New York still had more competitions um and it, it, I was late because of trains usually I, I try to be everywhere at least 20-30 minutes before I'm supposed to be there and my friends hitting me up they're like yo they're calling your name They're calling your name. And I'm like, yo, I have to. So I'm like, I'm still on the train. I'm like a few stops away. I'm shitting myself. So I'm like, even if I get to the venue, I'm not going to fight my first. I have to go shit. Yeah, yeah. So I get there. I'm sorry. I'm not even there. My friend is texting me. She's like, yo. Luckily, she knew the ring coordinator, and she got my match moved back by like three or four matches. She got three or four matches ahead, so it gave me enough time to get – because they also had metal detectors, so there was a line. I had to run in there, so luckily I was able to use the bathroom. I ended up getting third that day, Um, but to kind of – to what we were saying, right, whether it's your first day or – now, I was a blue belt at this point. i have been training for about two and a half years, so, you know, things like that happen, right? Public transportation. Sometimes, like you said, things are out of your control. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that really stood out to me when you compete as an athlete is just, and, and this is, I don't think it's solely as an athlete, but for me, I started to put a little bit more pressure on myself, right? Because now there's this expectation for me um, and how I have to perform. Now that I've chosen to do this as a career, right, I think the competition changes for me a little bit. um, And, and that was something that has been up and down, right? Like I have moments where I feel great. I'm like, this is awesome. And then the moments where I'm like, I wish I would have done tennis or something like that, something else. Um, Just because like a lot of the things that are out of your control just become overwhelming at times, right? And You know, bad habits. Sometimes we think that the answer is overtraining or we think the answer is training more, which leads to overtraining when in fact, like what really needs to be done is work in these other areas. So I think as an athlete, it's really, really important to just not forget that it's not just training hard. Right. Like there has to be you have to have structure with your strength, with your strength and conditioning. You should, um, you know, have some sort of mental training, sleep, like all these things that are important for lifestyle. They're just a little bit more important for athletes because your body is what you use as your career. Right. This is your this is how you do your job. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, I think you bring up a really good point. I think a lot of the pressure that comes from being an athlete and the pressure that you associate with your performance just comes with the attitude and the mindset that you need to have if you're going to be an athlete, right? Right. If you're going to have a commitment to the result of your competition. I think you made a really good point that if you're just a hobbyist and you want to compete for fun, and it can be fun. Absolutely. Right? You spend the day with your, like, basically in a jiu-jitsu convention. Yeah, right? yeah With yeah. everybody else. Everybody else is there, does jiu-jitsu. You meet people from different schools. It can be a very fun and exhilarating time. But if you're there to win, you have to have good preparation leading up to it. Absolutely. And you're basically investing your time towards a specific outcome. Right. So there is a certain amount of pressure that builds up uh, in the preparation for an event like this or for any competition that you decide to do. Right. Um, And in doing so, you have to commit yourself to preparing uh, the right way. Yeah. Like if you're just a hobbyist, yeah, you can probably get away with um, training two times. uh, Sorry, three times a week. Right. Maybe select some good training partners, get a couple good rounds in. But if you're an athlete, you pretty much have to be training close to every single day. Right, maybe yeah. take a rest day, um, maybe two if you're feeling really beat up. And
1: not to cut you off, we don't mean like train hard every day, but yeah. you have to do some form of training at least six days a week, right? Yeah. Like there has to be something that you need to be doing in order to keep progressing.
0: And sometimes multiple times a day. Right. Right. So when I was com- well, when I was competing, I would train at noon for an hour and then train at night for two more hours. Right. Right. And that's that's from what I'm understanding, that's on the lighter side of what some athletes do. Yeah. I recently found out that there was a gym out in California, uh, the one very famous for uh, The Thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that, that good old thing. So uh, very famous for putting out a lot of competitive black belts today. And somebody asked the head coach there, like, how often do your athletes train? And he said, my athletes train for five or six hours a day minimum. Yeah. And, you know, they're winning everything. So, And I believe that the way that he is – training and conditioning as athletes is becoming the new standard for brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes so i think if you're not committing i'm not saying you have to commit five to six hours every day i think that is in my personal opinion the extreme of like what athletes should do to win the competitions because i mean they're also like getting homeschooled right they're not working jobs they're only doing jiu-jitsu i mean like that is like all in (laughs) jiu-jitsu athlete yeah but not everybody can do that. Right. So, but I definitely believe there has to be a certain level of commitment if you are going to be a Jiu Jitsu athlete and that revolve, that involves training multiple times a day if you can and training most of the days out of the week, you know? Um, And in doing so, like Jabani said, you can build up a lot of pressure within yourself and around yourself because you're investing a lot of your time towards this outcome. Like I've said before, and you know, unfortunately this is what people don't tell you. You're the outcome is not going to be always what you think. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm speaking about this as someone who's won competitions and still feeling slightly disappointed that I didn't submit all of my matches yeah. or that I got scored on in the finals or that I, I barely won my match, you yeah. know, and, or I, I barely won a ref decision, you know, and, I wasn't able to take pride as much pride as I wanted to in those outcomes because I felt before the time that I had invested, I should have gotten a different outcome. Right. Yeah. Um, Giovanni, have you ever felt like this?
1: I mean, I still do with life in general, dog. I I think that's what some
0: people call the imposter
1: syndrome. Um, but no, for sure. Like I definitely because of I, I, and we're we're always going to be our biggest critics. Right. So um, I Shout-outs to one of my exes um, because she she gave me a tool or, or she gave me an exercise that really has helped me till this day. After each competition, the first thing I would do is watch the matches, right? Whether I won or lost, right, I was always so quick to critique on the places I went wrong because I just wanted to, you know, ideally be, be the best, right? That, that was my thing, and I was like, okay, I got to work on the places that I fucked up. I didn't take the time to really um, – Appreciate the goods, right? I didn't take the time to appreciate the growth and where I did do well. So I was always very, very hard on myself. And then she would always just like make me point out three positives and three negatives from the entire day, right? And after a while, um, after doing this for a number of competitions, like it became really hard to come up with the negatives. Mm. And not that I couldn't, right? But they just like when you change your perspective on it, it becomes a little bit, a little bit easier. But um, you also start. It also uh, added more of that fun that I was having when I initially started competing that I felt like I lost, Yeah. right? Um, but yeah, I definitely feel like it's normal, right? Especially because this matters a lot to us and most people, right? Like if you lose any competition, it, nobody likes losing. I haven't met somebody who likes losing, but there is importance in knowing that you're not always going to win and that there's growth no matter what, right? As long as you know that um, that you gave it your best. You show up, you try to do everything you can. You know, your preparation was already done. By the time that you get to the tournament, like the only thing that should be on your mind is you visualizing and trying to instill your game plan, right? That's where the routine, the structure, all of this is important, right? But if you've been kind of half-assed your training, right? If you're going into a big competition, only training two times a week, then like I believe that you could be delusional, but most people are going to be aware that what to expect right like i didn't put in enough work so if i lose like what is there to really be mad at you know where Mm -hmm. is it that i need to do the improvement either way like no matter win or lose or no matter how hard i am on myself i and it's normal for us to be hard on ourselves take some time after your loss take a day you know just process everything and then then think about what's the next step right i think you know, it's important to be able to digest whether you win or lose before yeah. just jumping right
0: into it. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you made a myriad of great points there. Uh, one thing that I want to talk about is something that a lot of people don't really talk about, and it's the actual cost, like uh, the actual oh, monetary man. cost <sighs> of competing. Like you spoke great about, like the mental and physical cost of competing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, tailoring your expectations, managing your expectations, yeah, um, your mindset. But something that people don't talk about is just how much this costs. This like, will leave a hole in your pocket. You know sometimes <laughs> like dead ass, man. For sure, man. Like one of the main reasons why I started competing in New York City is because I didn't have to travel that much. Yeah. So I could just go compete, just pay the registration fee and just go home, right? And Facts. I would just have to pay the two seventy five. I mean, I had a limited MetroCard if you're listening from outside of the city, then you wouldn't really get that. But I didn't have to pay that much other than the the fee, right? Which is still pretty outrageous. Yeah. Right. If you're competing every month or maybe even twice a month, then competition fees can add up pretty quickly. Yeah. I think that right now, they're at minimum probably like around $100. And I know for like the higher level competitions, they can go up to like $175. And
1: IBJJF requires you to have a member. And I only know this for IBJJF. I don't know if other organizations, but you have to be a member. So you have to pay $40 to be a member. And then you have to have a school to register. So aside from registration, there's still other money coming out of that shit. Yeah.
0: So let's try to paint a full picture of exactly how much money you're going to spend if you wanted to compete at a major tournament, right? So let's just Actually, oh. I have an example.
1: I okay. have my first competition. So first competition, we don't want to make it sound all bad. Jiu-Jitsu has been wonderful because I've been able to travel and see so much of the world. But for somebody who doesn't have much money, my first competition was to, my first world's competition was my first time traveling by myself outside of New York. Um, and... I stayed at a Best Western in Long Beach, um, and it was across the train station, and I saw homeless people fight a lot. <laughs> Wait. okay. The gym was literally like you go in through the door, you, the, the automatic sliding doors, and then you made a right, and that was the gym. There was a bike, a shitty scale, and very shitty weights. The hotel for about six days cost me a G.
0: Dang, that's crazy.
1: That, a G. And then the flight was b- both ways i want to say was somewhere between 600 and 700 now again these prices all fluctuate depending where you're f- f- traveling from what time you book your stuff so if you book early you can usually save but uh, i'm just giving you kind of an average example so right now based on flight and hotel that's about $1500 let's say around yeah. that
0: and we haven't even competed yet
1: we haven't we haven't competed yet we haven't taken any ubers yet we haven't t- bought any food yeah. right so i'm there for about a week um, you don't have to stay that long everybody stays however long but in the first 3 days we're just going to say that that's an average for most people right when they travel i spent the 1500 and then i spent around another 200 on food and ubers just in the 3 days I still have another 4 day, 3 3 or 4 days left there so you can imagine how much money i spent yeah. so basically in my whole trip I spent about almost three
0: Gs. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's only <laughs> to compete at one major event. And and
1: obviously, that was a very extreme. So for those people that are going to be quick to be like, well, I save so much money. Yes, I've had tournaments that I've traveled for a week and I didn't spend that much. But whether it's three Gs, whether it's $1,500, like however much money you spend, if you like a lot of this went on my credit card, right? Like I still had to pay that off, right? Like a lot of this money... I mean, I was fortunate enough to have saved, and I didn't have as much expenses, but when you start- n- now at this point when your bills start to kind of pile up, like you might not have that money to go towards competition right um there's just so much fucking expenses, right, and if you're traveling to other countries, then you gotta think about the difference in the in the dollar and the shit like that,
0: yeah, 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 I think that's something that. I'm very thankful that you brought up and we're able to break down that much that yeah. way Um, just because people don't really talk about it, yeah. right? People are like, oh, I mean, in order to be a jiu-jitsu athlete, so many people talk about, oh, you got to have the mindset. You got to be hungry. You got to train X amount of hours a day. But you also got to have a job. You also got to have money, dog.
1: <laughs> How else are we going to register for this shit?
0: No, I, I can't. Like, people think that jiu-jitsu athletes just naturally get sponsored yeah or like yeah. they they find like a like a patron who's like gonna pay for everything and that's not true like most of the competitions and most of the money that um paid for my competition and travel came out of my own pocket like yeah. i was working a job while i was training twice a day yeah. like i i was very fortunate to have very understanding managers and bosses at the time yeah, yeah where i was yeah. just very upfront with them be like hey on my lunch break can I just take an hour and a half instead of an hour? Yeah. Because I want to go train. Right. And I didn't even have lunch, man. Like yeah. I, I went and trained in my hour and a half lunch break. Which I was very thankful to have. Shout out to Hugo at the at the bookstore. Right. Shout out to Hugo. Shout out to Hugo, man. But I would train and then go back to work and then I would sneakily have my lunch while I was at work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then I would leave work and then get my second training session after work. Yeah. Right? And that became my life. Um, but... All of that money that I was working for just went towards covering my expenses for these competitions. Right. Um, let me maybe give another example where we don't fly all the way across the country. But I took a um, $80 bus ride up to Boston. Right. And it oh, was like yeah. on those cheap buses. I, I would d- never do that few, again. Bro. I've done a few of those. Yeah, Bro, if we're talking about <laughs> Pendejito of the week. Yo, shout, be, mega bus, you get pendejito of the week. <laughs> Yo, your your fact. service is terrible, dude. <laughs> I was crammed in there like sardines. Oh, no. Nah. It was terrible, bro. If somebody farted, that was
1: it. It was over. Yo, I went to Boston. My girl at the time got sick. So imagine four bus rides with your partner next oh, you throwing up. God, like, it, it was. I felt terrible. And you can only imagine.
0: Bro, mega bus is like the spirit airlines yeah. on the ground. You don't dude. know if you're going to make it to your destination oh, in one crazy. piece or three. Crazy. Anyway, so you spent $80 getting there, and I'm minding, I'm, I'm thinking very cheap, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So you spend $80 getting there, and then I only tried to stay there for around four days, and it was like a very cheap Airbnb that was in Dorchester. And if you don't know what Dorchester is, bro, it's basically like a white ghetto. <laughs> so I was hearing gunshots at night, <laughs> but it was still $400. Like, it was $100 a night, right? Yeah, why not? So I'm already 480 in. But I haven't even competed yet, right? So, $480 in plus the $125 registration fee. Now I'm around like $600 in. And then I have to pay for food every four days. Plus, I'm with her with my girlfriend at the time. So, every meal is double. Right. So, I end up spending close to $800 to $1,000 on that. Right. Because I'm, of course, we have to go to the aquarium because you have to give an excuse (laughs) for her to go there because no chick just wants to go there just to see you compete. Right. You got to make it worth her while a little bit. Absolutely. And I understand, right? I'm dragging this person to see them, see me, see me compete. Um, so it gets very expensive, even if you're training locally, right? Yeah. Like it was from New York to Boston. And I still, I still ended up spending close to a thousand dollars just on one competition trip. Yeah. Now. The way that some athletes do it is that they find somebody to couch surf, yeah, just yeah, for a couple yeah. of days. And they're, I'm not saying that you can't do it any cheaper. Like, don't take this as a dare. No, to for like, sure. Go panhandling for your competition. <laughs> like, what I'm saying is that be prepared. Other, like, again, one of the things that I love that we're talking about in this podcast is that we haven't even gotten to techniques. We haven't even gotten to like, <laughs> like game plans. It's yeah. just, bro, dog. How are you going to pay for this? Well, I, I like that you brought that up because I mean, we've
1: definitely we've given two examples of how much. We spend, but I think it's also taught us uh, or helped us in managing our finances a little bit better. Because definitely, like I try now to book my hotel, my flight, all the stuff that I need to try to book it on time. It saves me money, right? If you if you book shit early, if you know, and and obviously, I think a lot of people have hesitation because sometimes IBJJF doesn't release the schedule till like two days before you're supposed to compete. So if you know that world is in June. And you want to buy everything in like February, you're kind of just hedging, you're you're kind of just guessing and not not having a realistic feel of what it's supposed to look like uh, for your vacation or for your work trip. Right. Um, That said, I do think that these experiences have helped me just be better about my money. Sometimes it it isn't always the case. I still sometimes I I, sometimes I want to go to McDonald's and get a McChicken. It isn't expensive, but. When you do this a couple times, it can pile up. Um, but definitely, if I know that I'm going to compete, I try to, you know, kind of just get ahead of the curve, book everything on time, um, you know, put a little bit of extra money aside just because I know how much I try to spend. And look, we're all people. We all um, deserve to treat ourselves. We we deserve to indulge a little bit, especially when we travel to places that we've never seen. It's nice to, like, experience the place, you yeah, know? Yeah, for sure. Um, but that said, you know it's always and it goes back to what we said originally it's always going to be easier if you prep for these things if mm-hmm. you are if you have a plan it just makes your life easier and it takes away from the anxiety because you not only do you have all the things that we talked about earlier but then you have all this anxiety about like how much money you spend shit like that because you talked about Boston i was out in boston one time and i was supposed to go with um with someone and that fell through i'm in the uber And he's like, yo, just so you know, your venue's here. This is an hour away. Luckily, and, you know, like Hugo, shout-outs to all the people that have helped us because, you know, we've had struggles, but we've been very fortunate to know Plenty of wonderful people to help us do this career and, and shit. Um, but he let me sit in the back of his uh, Uber for 45 minutes. I had to call Expedia because I booked it through a third party. Or she booked it through a third party. So I had to go do that, reschedule, and do all that shit. So there's, there's a lot of, like, hard lessons to be learned here. But point being, like, if you are prepared, once you know what you want to do, like, plan ahead, right? Assume something may go wrong and just, you know... Uh, plan for that. We can't prepare for everything like Ray said, but usually if you are as prepared as you can be, it takes away a lot of that anxiety and it helps you just enjoy your trip, your you know, competition, whatever it is, a lot more.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that we're talking about this again. I'll say that as many times as I want to because it's my podcast. <laughs> but if you're uh, someone who's thinking about competing, maybe traveling for competition, I think talk to someone like Giovanni and I, right? I think that we can help you um just manage and plan for a lot of these unforeseen things that come up when you're competing right um, one thing that I want to do, like a rough segue to, is just the different rule sets you can encounter in competition. Yeah, there are so many out there right now. So many, right? Um, I just want to narrow it down to a couple, right? So we're do like I guess the most popular, right? Yeah. So there's the IBGF rule set, which if you're competing, is going to be probably the most popular one. I think for amateur competition, right? People tend to just either adopt the IBGF rule set or slightly modify it. Yeah. Um, then there is the EBI rule set, which is Pretty popular for like super fights. Yeah. Right. If you just have two athletes and just want to see primarily which one. no gi. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Primarily no gi. Um, and we'll just, maybe we'll do another episode of Gi versus Nogi, but yeah. just shortened and condensed. Nogi is becoming more popular in the professional scene and in right. like the spectator scene. So if you're typically going somewhere to watch a jiu-jitsu event, then it's probably going to be under an EBI rule set in yeah. Nogi. Yeah. And then we have ADCC rules, which is becoming vastly more popular, again, because of the rise of popularity in Nogi. Yeah. So, uh, Giovanni, just straight off the bat, what do you think your um, favorite rule set to compete in is?
1: So I'm gonna give you one that you didn't mention. So the UAEJJF, okay. Um, they I, the reason I like them is because they're very consistent throughout the board. So a lot of the rules you, uh, or the organizations you named, I think with the exception of ADCC, their rules change a little bit depending on the skill level, right? Mm. Um, and your rank. So. For example, IBJJF, the timing of the matches changes depending on your rank, right? So blue belts is five minutes, purple or six, purple is seven, brown is eight, and then black belts is ten. Um, the reason I like the UAE-JJF rule set is because I believe it's six minutes for everyone. Um, they're straightforward with the rules. It, it's the same thing, right? Very similar to IBJF, but I just feel like they're more consistent with it throughout the all of their tournaments. There aren't, like, small adjustments for the most part. Um, so I really like competing in that for its consistency. However, um, I probably have the most experience under IBJJF rule set because they do have the most tournaments, yeah, um, internationally and just all around right now.
0: Yeah, I, one of my favorite rule sets to compete under is the IBJJF rule set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of like how the rules change. Yeah, like as you go through the belt ranks. Yeah. There are some arguments against it where like, oh, blue belts should be able to knee bar. And, you know, I understand that as a blue belt, I knew how to do and defend against knee bars. Yeah. Um, and that's just not knee bar specifically, like other techniques as well that aren't necessarily a lot of lower belt ranks. Um, some people do feel it's kind of restrictive. Yeah. I don't. That's just a matter of opinion. Debate me and send me a email on, the, on the, we, about the podcast. We got time. We got time. We got plenty of time. Um, but I, I do like how the more um advance the matches get the more time is allotted toward those matches yeah right that's just something that i prefer i think that as as an athlete it appeals to me yeah um it is also one of the competitions that i have like yourself more experience competing under yeah um if i had to name a favorite of mine to watch though it would probably be an ebi rule set yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know what an EBI rule set is, I believe, and Giovanni, correct me if I'm wrong, it's basically a certain amount of time, either 10 or 15 minutes, that yeah. two athletes compete under, typically in Nogi again. And it's basically a submission-only match with a time limit. Yeah. So the only way to get a, a victory in this rule set is to submit your opponent. Right. If uh, your opponent passes your guard or mounts you or gets you in a dominant position and they hold you there for 10 minutes, but in the 11th minute you get out and submit them, then you won the match, right? right? But I'm, I'm sorry. Um, typically, sorry. submit you and you any match set, right? But if by the end of regulation time, if you were on the, someone's back for the entire time, that typically wouldn't count for anything. Yeah. And then afterwards, they settle the the match kind of like with a sudden death, Right. right. Which you start in a position of your choice typically either on the person's back or in a position called the spider web, which is kind of like a locked-in arm bar, yeah. right? And then you just compete for fastest escape time. right? Now, I thought this was brilliant when it first came out because so many people only focus on like attack yeah, right? yeah, and yeah. how good you are attacking your opponent. But then it really gives you an overall encompassing picture of the athlete. It's like, oh, are your escapes on point too? Yeah. Like if you get put in the worst position in jiu-jitsu... Can you defend yourself? Do you have the skills to get out of this? Exactly. Yeah. Like, like then not only can you say that you were better against your opponent, because then you can say, like, look, dog, you had me in a dead-to-rights position, and you still couldn't finish. Yeah, yeah. Right? And not only that, I got out faster than you. So I thought it was a great tiebreaker to determine a match. Yeah. I really like watching the EBI rule set. But I can see how this type of, like, match style doesn't really appeal to, like, a spectator that much. Yeah. Well, I think, like...
1: I think EBI is is good because they have a a time limit. First and foremost, the time, the rules that I hate are no time limit matches. I don't oh, like those. Dude. They're the Competing worst.
0: under those is so miserable.
1: Not only competing, but that's where I think you can lose the spectator. Oh I, yeah, I, for sure. Um jiu-jitsu as a as a sport in general is not always spectator friendly cuz sometimes the people competing are fucking lazy. Yeah. Um or or they just don't have the skill level whatever it is, but um With EBI, I feel like they do have a set time and regulation, and then the EBI, like, we're going to know who's the winner or loser. Sure, it can get a little boring sometimes or a little stale, but that definitely is much better than, like, a 20-minute match, right, sub-only, or, like, a 30, like, I think those long matches where it's sub-only, like, I'm sure that there's people who really like it because it's, like, pure martial arts and then, you know, whatever it is. Like, whatever you, I'm not shitting on you if you like it that said it's a very boring kind of rule set to watch because like if you want to do 30 minutes like train at your gym and do your 30 minute rounds but like if you're if you're on a show if you're on a card whatever it is like i think 15 minutes max whether you do an ebi whatever i think 15 minutes if any match regulation should be enough time right and if you want to be like a super athlete you want to go 20 minutes like that's cool but i think 15 minutes is a long time, and especially, like, you see it at ADCC. You see it at any level. Like, I don't care how good your cardio is. If you're pushing the pace, like, you're going to get tired. So around the 10-minute mark, you usually one of the athletes starts to fade, and then it either becomes really sloppy, kind of ugly, not fun to watch jiu-jitsu, or one athlete is just dominating the other, and, like, that's cool too. But um, from a spectator point of view, definitely the long matches just suck, and they really just trained
0: yeah i i definitely have experience um showing somebody who doesn't jujitsu a no time limit match yeah and i sort of get sick hand embarrassment right yeah. like i start crunching <laughs> because we we're literally <laughs> watching people stall in half guard for like seven minutes yeah and i'm just i just literally have to tell them like no 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 keep watching it's gonna get good <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, uh, this is normal it's speed crazy. let me
1: speed it up real quick
0: yeah yeah it's like oh like you know, you're scrolling through trying to find like the most exciting parts of the match and the exciting part is like five seconds yeah, yeah. Dude, so I definitely agree with you that no time limit is probably not the way to go in terms of making jiu-jitsu a spectator sport. Right. Um, But there are so many rule sets still tr- a being experimented with. Yeah. Like I know one of them is like the ADCC rule set. I know many people are starting to adopt that rule set. Yeah. But even the ADCC rule set is like kind of one of those... Um, Give and takes. Where sure, it's made to be more appealing to the viewer, but it's just such a hyper specific rule set that really only a handful of people in the world, namely the referees who have been like refereeing the that sporting event for decades, really know like the rule set. If we're talking about like the piece of advice that we gave early on in the podcast, which is know the rule set, a lot of the athletes who regularly compete in ADCC. Get caught off guard with like a rule that they didn't know was there. Yeah, like it's just such a complex rule set. Like, you you have to know when you can't and can't. Oh, when you are or are not in bounds. Yeah. Um, certain resetting positions, certain uh resetting criteria. Right. It's yeah. That ca- that catches so many people off guard. And I think we'll, we'll obviously we'll come back to this. You know, at some point, um, because there is a lot
1: to kind of break down in terms of the competitions. But yeah, like you said, you you don't know when somebody – like for ADCC, for those of you that don't know, and, and we're talking about the main ADCC. I know that the ADCC opens, which are um, growing in popularity. They're having a lot more all over the world. Um, I think those rules are a little bit different, and they do have more weight classes. Like, they are trying to get people more familiar with the rules for a lot of the reasons you said. Um,
0: but I lost my point, so. Okay. So, one thing that I want to do uh, to start transitioning into the end of the podcast is, um, I just go over the pendejo of the week. Right, I think that competing is such a broad and general topic. We might even do a second episode just on competing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe like we'll talk about specific game plans, right? Maybe some more technical stuff other than just like bring PDA light and toilet paper.
1: And we're definitely, we'll give y'all some suggestions because some of y'all play some whack ass music wow. yeah, or some shitty
0: ass warm up. Like we're here, we're, we're going to get you right or at least send you in the right direction. So just keep listening. For sure. So, Pendejo of the Week this week goes to the North American Grappling Association. I am using your full. <laughs> Government name, bro. Like, one thing that I want to talk about just very quickly before we transition into Brasileiros, right? The results of Brasileiros. Dude, what did they you, do to you? You also, like, not only do you have to, like, mentally prepare yourself and physically prepare yourself, just choose the right organization, right? <laughs> Naga is trash, just garbage, dookie poo poo. Like, never compete in a Naga. Latin X Guard does not co sponsor. The North American Grappling Association. If you want to talk about something that will throw off your game, they have the worst refs. They're always contradicting themselves. I was at a NagA and I got into like an argument with the ref because I was straight ankle lock. And <laughs> like I read the rules, I know straight ankle lock is allowed during the match, and I'm yelling at the ref like, "No, I am allowed. I'm not letting go." Like I had this guy dead to rights, and it's like, "No, you can't straight ankle lock." And then I conveniently there was a ref like near my head his foot was right there so i tap him he's like can you tell this guy that straight ankle locks allowed and he goes like oh yeah it's allowed we're your blue belt and like the guy goes okay we start the match go ahead and i'm like what do you th-? it was terrible so the refs constantly contradict one another the matches always don't start on time nope dude i was there for a 9 a.m and a 12 p.m match do you know what time i got on the mat jobani 3 a.m <laughs> <laughs> I got on the I got on the mats at 1 p.m. and 8 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> terrible. And everybody told me, like, yeah, Naga runs a little bit late. I'm thinking I'm going to have to wait one or two hours. No, dog, I was there for the entire day. The entire day. You have adrenaline up. Like, at that, by the time that you
1: fight, you really just would rather die.
0: Yeah. Yo, and you, I know we were giving a lot of slack today at BGF, It's so like, what do you mean I can't wear my rash guard and they make you buy a new rash guard? But in Naga, they will let you compete in anything, They'll bro. let you compere, compete in Speedos, I'm sure. Yo, I've, I saw a guy in a Power Ranger costume, that- like, with the mask <laughs> on. <laughs> and I'm like what are we doing here i brought some friends like from out of town to watch me do what i do for a living that's not the one you want to bring them to so i <laughs> now i know they think that you were fucking you're in a circus no they, they, they think i'm like some like a cosplay event like what are you doing they might it was, take you more serious if it were cosplay so not only do you have to like mentally prepare yourself physically prepare yourself choose the right organization and the pendejo of the week, the North American Grappling Association, just isn't it. If you want any more um, convincing that they're not it, some people like this about them, but they give grown men samurai swords instead of trophies. You can get
1: what what you get at Naga for winning. You can order that shit on Amazon. You want a fucking belt? Go to WWE.com and fucking get the Intercontinental belt. Some shit. Dude, <laughs> Like,
0: <laughs> just Naga is such a joke to me, man. Um <laughs> Like, I, this is coming from the Naga Pan Am champ right here, <laughs> dude. <laughs> oh, my bad.
1: I didn't know we were in, ne- next to royalty.
0: Dude, <laughs> it's it's just such a meme in the community at this point. I mean, like, if you just need, like, I don't know, a pick-me-up competition. For sure. If you just want to, like, do any... I, mean, I wouldn't even say it that far. Like, I wouldn't even do it just to make myself feel better, dude. If I go to a Naga, it's going to make me feel worse.
1: Um, I've definitely traveled to Nagas, um, and I, and I, I will... I'm not shaming. I'm not saying that I won't do a Naga, but I also agree 1,000% with everything Ray said. They're the worst, worst run. Y'all are the worst. Naga, pendejos of the week.
0: But, dude, I don't understand how they've been in the game for so long. Because Naga has outlived, like, actual good grappling tournaments. as like, Grappler's Quest. Yeah. Like, the Kasai. They've outlived Kasai.
1: I think they've been around for almost two decades. And the fact that they haven't, like, improved. Like, they're, they're almost... Regressed in that sense, like you haven't improved your your structure, you haven't made any improvements.
0: Oh, dude! Also about this, the only t- the first time that I saw someone's knee get ripped apart in their heel oh. hook was at a naga event. It's the first time somebody scissor leg takedown on me. That's crazy, dude. <laughs> dude. If you're listening to this podcast, don't do a naga event. If you do, uh, man, <laughs> hit us <go> up <laughs> and we'll try to give you some <laughs> advice. I guess like. <laughs> Put us in your will. Anyway, let's transition to the last part of the podcast. We want to go over the results of the Brasileiro competition. So we're just going to go over the winners, some of our standouts. The Brasileiro competition is one of the four competitions in the IBGF Grand Slam. So I believe it is Europeans, which is in January, Pan Ams, which is in March, uh, Brasileiros, which is in May, and then Worlds, which is in June. Um, We have... I believe one athlete who is going or multiple athletes who are going for the Grand Slam this year, meaning that they win gold in their division um, in each of these major tournaments within the calendar year.
1: Yeah. Um, So we'll start with the females this time um, because we started with the males last time. So we're just going to go through this. Um, I wrote a couple of things. So let me know if I get too lost. So Brenda Larissa beat. Jessica Carolina in the finals of the Roosterweight. Um, this is her second Brazilian Nationals titles, and she previously placed second in European. So shout outs to Brenda. In um, Light Feather, the GOAT, as expected, won. Maísa. The beat, GOAT. The GOAT. She beat um, Adele for an for nanino sorry if i said that wrong um but she she also stood out i believe she did her camp at aoj um she was at adcc losing to fion i believe in the first round so you know but um talking about grand slam is looking for her grand slam this year um and this is her i believe her second brasileros win of her black belt career great um for featherweight um one of the M- probably most well-known competitors, uh, Bianca Basilio, some also known as Bia Basilio. She won her match, and this is her fifth Brazilian Nationals title. So, you know, she's fucking OG, so there's not much to say on her. Um, Luisa Montero won lightweight division, um, and she's done it all. She's an OG, um, and I believe she's also looking for a Grand Slam, winning Europeans and Pans this year. Wow, so. tons
0: of athletes on that track.
1: Hell yeah. Um, For middleweight, we have Andresa Sintra, who won the middleweight division. Um, This is her second Brazilian Nationals title, and she's won Worlds three years in a row. So, gangster. Um, So, Maria Malajasiak. I don't know how to say that name. I'm really, really sorry, but I nicknamed her the Polish OG. Um, because she's been an OG forever. This is her first Brazilian Nationals title, um, and she recently won Europeans and placed third in the Open Class of Pan. So um, I know sh- I've seen her as I've come up through the ranks. She's always been. Um, so she's from it. Poland. Yes, um, I believe her handle is like Grumpy BJJ Girl.
0: That's so impressive for a non-Brazilian athlete to win Brasileiros because yeah. uh, if you would listen to the previous episode, we have talked about exactly how difficult that is to do. Absolutely. Because and this is not trash talking the brazilian people but the brazilian athletes or at least the environment in uh the brasileiros, is pretty hostile to foreigners yeah um so they're not as welcoming uh anything that i say about like specific rumors are just exactly that just rumors (laughs) but they don't really treat um foreign athletes that well or at least respectfully yeah so we've definitely heard a couple of stories
1: we won't repeat that yet but um yeah y'all are mean out there to to the foreigners
0: (laughs) so um shout outs to everybody who competed and traveled uh to the brawleros and i think it's very very impressive that this polish athlete was able to conquer one of the harder titles to conquer in the jiu-jitsu world
1: absolutely and she wasn't the only one uh she wasn't the only non-brazilian to win so um but we'll get into that so then to kind of cap off in the heavyweight division uh tamira silva she won um her first her first major at black belt. Um, she won double bronze at Pans in March, and um, she won Brasileiros last year at brown belt. And then for the super heavyweight in the open class was won by none other than probably what I'm going to consider the Hodja Gracie of our generation, uh, Gabriele Pisanya So she be this is now her second. Uh, Brazilian Nationals double gold, and she's also looking for the Grand Slam. So, shout-outs to all the, the ladies that competed, yeah, our fucking gangsters. Lucas Pinheiro won the rooster weight, So, Ru- Lucas Pinheiro is an OG. This is his first Brazilian Nationals title at Black Belt, though. So, he got his Black Belt in 2015, 2016. Um, so, congrats to him. For the Light Featherweight, Baby Shark, your homeboy. Um, he won. This Me- is- the
0: Megalodon.
1: The Megalodon. Oh, man. The whole kage was fucking cringe. Um, <laughs> but the, he is this is, uh, I believe his second Brazilian's nationals title. Um, and he's looking for his first worlds title at Black Belt. I think he's won every major title at Black Belt so far, except for worlds. Um, uh, so getting on to the another um non Brazilian who won Brasileiros, Isaac Dodeling. Shout outs to him. Um, he's an American uh, world champion. That's my homeboy. He's he's the homeboy. He's he's probably uh the people's champ right now. For sure. That uh,
0: straight foot lock, he put it on me, bro. It feels like death. Yeah,
1: I bet. He it feels
0: it feels absolutely horrible. He, when he
1: grabs that shit, it looks like he's gonna take that foot home and take a bath with it. Dude, it's terrible. Um, but this is his second Brazilian nationals title and he is coming off a Santa Cruz open uh gold, so shout outs to him.
0: Yeah, and he's a um, reigning Pan Am champion too, right?
1: Um, I believe so.
0: Yeah, so he has a lot of momentum going into Worlds this year. Yes, sir. Great, good for him.
1: Um, And then in the lightweight, Lucas Valenche, Um, he won his first major gold at Black Belt. He previously placed second and third at Worlds and at Pans. So shout-outs to him for his first Brazilian Nationals title. Um, I know we've been saying the word gold a lot, but um, in terms of king, the middleweight king... Continues to be the middleweight king. Tynan once again, wins his division.
0: There's no stopping that guy.
1: Like, he, I don't even think he was sweating in his match. So, um, as someone who used to be the biggest Tynandalpra hater, I love him. Shout-outs to Tynan Thank you for making my Giju too a lot better. Um, another person who I'm a big fan of, medium heavyweight division, won by our boy Gustavo Batista. Um, he's... Won it all. I believe he's looking for his Grand Slam this year. Wow. Um, so, he's killing it. Felipe Andrew won the heavyweight division. Um, this is his second Brazilian Nationals title. And he also placed second in 2019 and 2022. He's another one who regularly kills it. Um, probably the one of the biggest upsets, or I guess for me, um, somebody who I didn't know, was Pedro Lucas. He won brown belt. He was a brown belt earlier this year. And he won Europeans in January. And so... Then to get promoted and win um, your first major at Black Belt, like within Within the span of a couple weeks. Within the span of a couple weeks, that was fucking great. Um, And then, much like the last divisions of the female, um, Victor Hugo won both the ultra heavy and open class. Um, He wins Brazilian nationals double gold for the first time, I believe. So
0: I'm a huge fan of Victor Hugo. He's the mountain. The mountain. Right. I've heard he's like a really nice guy. Um, he has a, a large amount of wins over a uh, great number of athletes um, I'm really excited to see a lot of these athletes take that momentum into Worlds which yeah, is yeah, happening yeah. in a few weeks Yeah. so really excited to see if these athletes <coughs> that are going to the Grand Slam can achieve that feat um, we know many athletes that go in for the Grand Slam and then just end up choking at yeah. the last second
1: um, I also wanted, not to cut you off, I wanted to um, before we wrap things up, I also wanted to like shout out to a lot of the athletes that not only competed in brazil but that this is like their world right like yeah because of the visas and internet like a lot of athletes can't travel outside they just can't uh, afford it and they can't afford it right so um this is a big opportunity and i know that for a lot of these athletes such as pedro like this this puts their name out there right mm-hmm. this is going to open a lot of doors and open a lot more doors for already established athletes so uh, congrats to everybody for real
0: yeah um Competing is always a uh, such an endeavor Facts. to undertake, so it's always very impressive when these athletes go out, win, lose, or draw, and just give it their all, you know? Yeah. So that's pretty much it for today's episode. Thank you, Jabani, for doing your research and going through all the winners and the <laughs> up matchups. Um as you can see, we have the episodes regularly uploaded to Spotify and Simplecast, our host site. Uh, if you can do this all just a great favor and rate our podcast on Spotify, that would be a great help. Share it on Instagram. Uh, again, once again, you can find me at ruck r-u-c-k underscore feymundo f-a-y-m-u-n-d-o you can also find me at big monkey productions on instagram and you can find the podcast at latinx guard podcast on instagram jobani where can they find you
1: um you can find me at jobani underscore rosario um that's g (coughs) j-o-b-a-n-y underscore rosario and then um also tres golpes Jitsu. i'm not going to spell that out um or actually it's t-r-e-s-g-o-l-p-e-s jujitsu um so yeah those are the two handles i got
0: yeah thank you so much for listening this has been episode six of the Latin latinx guard podcast we're going to start cranking some out there might be just a small week we take a break just because primarily i am looking to take a vacation soon god forbid i enjoy my life So, thank you all for listening. God damn you. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. We're going to post this episode um, when it comes out, whenever I feel like it. But thank you so much for listening again. See you around, guys.
1: Thank you, guys. Love, hate. We appreciate it.